We're in Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 30. Now, this was going to take five minutes to read this, so be patient with me. It's more scripture than we usually go through, so if you would, stand for reading of the Word of God. We honor God by standing when we read His words. And this, actually, the title for this is, is God's Dream for the Ages. But as I was going through the teaching, I'm thinking, what, how am I going to title this? Well, this was one of them A Dream, a Future, a Destiny. Nebuchadnezzar's Dream, Part 1. A Dream or a Nightmare, Part 1. I didn't know how to. So, anyway, it came down to God's Dream for the Ages. But there will be a Part 2 next week. Verses 1 through 30. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time, because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me the, its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, that there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Ariok, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Ariok, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Ariok made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his, and his companions might not perish, and the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and he raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might. You have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore Daniel went to Ariok, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Ariok quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? 
Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, Seek the secret which the king has demanded. The wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. Oh, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came in your mind while on your bed about what would, be, what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what, what will be. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Good job. Let's take a breath. <gasps> oh, okay. <laughs> the theme of Daniel is God is sovereign over nations. God is sovereign over rulers. And God is sovereign over the lives of people. God is sovereign over us. Daniel is, was, was one of the elite. He, remember, he went in the first wave. There were three waves. The first wave was in 605 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar went into, went into Jerusalem, and he took the prime people. And actually, it was postulated that he took between 50 and 75 prime men, noblemen, those ready prepared to serve in Israel. And he took them to be Babylonized. And he indeed Babylonized the majority. Last week we saw that, that this indoctrination took place. And remember, the indoctrination that takes place in any culture, including it's in Babylon was our example last week, but even in our culture today, it is to change the worldview that people have. And the worldview is the lens on which you view the world. Most of the world sees the world from the world's perspective. And that means the world, when I say world, it's the, it's the lost people. It's people who don't know Jesus as their Savior. But we, as a church, as Christians, we look at the world through the lens of Scripture. We look through the, the world through the lens of what, what God has revealed in His Word. And it's, they're very, very different. Very different. So, remember, there are kingdoms in conflict. There's the kingdom of light and there's the kingdom of darkness. And everybody that comes into this world, folks, are born into the kingdom of darkness. And they have to be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. And that is only through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. No other road, no other person, no other religion. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. We agree with that. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. So don't be Babylonized. Don't fall for the culture's indoctrination. And, I, and again, there's an all-out effort to indoctrinate in our culture today to a worldview that's anti-God. And we see it all around us. We see it all around us. So the key to not being Babylonized, we discussed this last week, is to resist. Daniel and his three friends resisted. It was four people out of 50 to 75 that were not Babylonized. So it is absolutely the remnant, the minority. In this culture, we are, and we talked about attending Babylon State University. When you send your kids to school, you're going to Babylon State University. Well, it's not just the kids, because we're all indoctrinated. We all have information coming at us on a continuum that is contrary to what God says in his word. And if you tell someone something long enough, supported by the masses, particularly the government, the educational system, the media, that culture can be indoctrinated. And that's what Joseph Goebbels did in World War II to the, to the German people and their view of Jews. And it was responsible for the Holocaust. You have to be very careful with indoctrination. We're being indoctrinated in our culture today. And so what do we do? The key is to not being Babylonized is to resist. And remember what he did. 
He purposed in his heart not to be defiled by the king's delicacies. Look, when you're not going to be Babylonized, you're not going to be indoctrinated. It isn't going to be at the last second sitting in a classroom. It's not going to be in the last second in your workplace. You make these determinations way ahead of time that I am going to serve God. I am going to be true to his word. That has to be done beforehand, or else you're going to succumb to the, what's coming at you, the tsunami that's coming at you. And I would suggest to you that for we in the church, we are, we are subject to this indoctrination. And the way that we resist this, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. We must keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Remember, we, we must men know, dwell in Christ, make our home in Christ. We must have everything focused around God and his plan for our lives. And uh, that's how we resist. And it's really the only way we can resist. So in those who resist, God will give them knowledge and wisdom and that sort of thing, just like he gave Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, they're facing the fiery furnace. And God gave them knowledge and wisdom and skill and courage to resist Nebuchadnezzar's threat. Now, it wasn't just a threat, throwing them into the fiery furnace. Daniel had the same situation in the lion's den. He's got the same situation today when Ariok comes to his house and wants to kill him. He had wisdom and knowledge. You're going to see that in just a few minutes. Folks, we want to focus on how God wants us to survive in Babylon, and that's where we live today. Don't be Babylonized. Don't be Babylonized. Be a Daniel. Resist the indoctrination. Now, this week's God's dream for the ages. God's dream for the ages. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. And Holy Spirit, if you do not empower these words, they will be meaningless. So we ask you to speak through me your words to your people, what you would like people to hear today. You have a unique message. Out of all this talk, all this talk, you have something that will touch the hearts of each person here. It'll be different for each person. Depends on where we're at. Speak to us today, God, the things that you want us to know. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. First of all, Daniel chapter 1 is written in Hebrew. doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but it will in just a second. And his whole thing was no compromise. No compromise. Take a stand for God. And I wrote in my notes here, don't be indoctrinated. Don't be Babylonized. In our text today, there's a switch here to Aramaic. Now, why is that? I believe it's because God's prophetic plan to the Gentile nations is written in Aramaic. When we get to verse chapters 8 and 12, Daniel switches his focus to what's going to happen to the Jewish people, what's going to happen to the Hebrew people. So it's written in Hebrew, so it's God's prophetic plan for Israel. So there, you need to know that there's a switch, and it's a, written in two languages, and that is the reason that it's written in two languages. Hear this. Harry Ironside says, says this. The second chapter of Daniel has been called the ABCs of prophecy, and of course, Revelation would be the XYZs of prophecy. And he makes this, this statement about, if Judah was obedient, Nebuchadnezzar would have never come to Jerusalem. But Judah was not obedient. Remember, they were worshiping idols. They were chasing after false gods. They were worshiping the gods of the culture, and they became indoctrinated to the gods of the culture. And God says, no, he's going to send Nebuchadnezzar as his instrument of wrath on the people of, of Israel. And they're going to go into seven years of captivity. It started at the time of the Gentiles. Remember Gen Luke 21, 24, Jesus mentions the time of the Gentiles. And we know what the time of the Gentiles is now because we've discussed it. Is that Jerusalem would be trotted down by the Gentiles 
until Messiah comes back, the second coming of Christ. And we know from 605 B.C. all the way to today and into the future when Jesus comes back, that is the time of the Gentiles, the time of the Gentiles. Jerusalem, during all that period of time, has been under some sort of Gentile rule. But there is a time when the king will come and Jerusalem will be reestablished as the centrality of Jewish worship, and that's where Messiah will reign. Time of the Gentiles. So we are living in the time of the Gentiles today, and it's called the church age. Remember, we're in the church age. It started at Pentecost. It'll end with the rapture of the church. But the time of the Gentiles continues all the way through the tribulation period until Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom. Well, with that background, verses 1 through 3. Uh, now, you know that Nebuchadnezzar's dream disturbed him. God is getting the king's attention. This guy has had power like no other king on earth, and God is going to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. Verses 1 through 3. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. That's a plural. Plural dreams. Probably the same dream over and over and over and over. And his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. That ever happened to you? It's happened to me. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, to tell the king his dreams. That's his team that does all the interpretation. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. So, now, why such a scary dream? And why would this dream be scary? be scary to Nebuchadnezzar. It is to wake him up to who really rules, and it's not him. And it says here that Nebuchadnezzar's spirit was troubled. He was agitated. He was, a, he was a nervous wreck, and his sleep left him, and he was disturbed to his core being. And Nebuchadnezzar was not used to being disturbed. He had all power. He had all everything going for him in that kingdom. This was totally foreign to him. And please know this, God gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream. It wasn't a burrito. It wasn't a bad movie at night. It wasn't some sort of other external circumstances. God gave the dream, very specific for him. And I want to suggest to you, God uses dream and visions to get the attention of people. God's dreams have a purpose. God's dreams and visions have a purpose. Now, if you remember, Pharaoh had a dream in the, in the time of, of Joseph. And it was this, these lean animals, and it was telling him about seven years of, of, lean, of, of plenty and seven years of leanness. And it was another situation where, 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 where the Jewish person gave the Gentile king an interpretation. Peter had a vision at Cornelius' house telling about how the Gentiles are going to be, come into the church Dreams and visions, they had the, we had them then, and we have them now. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, we talk about Joel's prophecy. And it goes like, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And that happened at Pentecost. That happened when, when the Spirit of God was poured out globally, and everyone that comes into the family of God can, 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 can have access to the Spirit's power wasn't just selective as in the Old Testament. And then it says, your, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall see dreams. And then it transitions to the, to the, the darkness in the heavens and, and all this strange stuff that happens 
in the tribulation period, I think the dreams and the visions become more and more prominent as we get closer to the end, crescendoing in the tribulation period. And I want to suggest to you today that dreams and visions are increasing in other parts of the world where people don't have access to the Word of God, and people are finding out about the true God through dreams and visions. It's happening. We get many reports in Iran, Iraq. And by the way, there is a church in Iran, an underground church, that is springing up and proliferating through the land. And you know who is behind, the, the leadership behind that is predominantly women. And God will use whoever he has to use. If the men aren't going to stand up, you come on Tuesday night, we're going to be talking about Deborah. Deborah being the only female judge. God's plan will not be stifled by men refusing to step up and take their place. And they're using women greatly in Iran. So he uses dreams and visions. That's how he's reaching different people groups. Now, I want to caution you of the dream or a vision a day club. Because you get into groups and everybody's having a dream, everybody's having a vision, but I want to assure you when God gives a dream or a vision, it is for a purpose. It is for a purpose. And usually it's getting you way out of your comfort zone. It's not for you to have some, oh, I had a dream. I had a vision. Let me tell you how great this thing was. It's usually telling you to do something that, oh, really? That's what you want me to do. Ah! Yeah. Abraham's visions and dreams were, were sometimes decades apart in the Old Testament. Daniel had, had dreams, and his dream in January 8.27, it was so disturbing that he was sick for days. Sick for days. Nebuchadnezzar's dream was for a prophetic purpose, folks that coming generations may know God's plans for the future on earth. Next week, we're going to see how this whole thing lays out, how this whole thing, all these kingdoms that are coming. This is a prelude to that, what we're talking about today. God wants his people to know, folks, to be ready for what is coming. He has given us a heads up. Keep your eyes peeled. And we also have responsibility to know. He expects his people to know what's coming. That is why we study Bible prophecy. And remember, God is getting our attention here. He's getting Nebuchadnezzar's attention, and he's getting the church's attention. Be ready. Be prepared. Don't be lackadaisical. Don't be lukewarm. The king is coming. We know the epoch of time and what things will be like, and it certainly is pointing to that. So kingdoms will rise and fall. And remember, the fate of kingdoms is in God's hands. And I want to suggest to you something. Every kingdom that has risen up in this world is from the dark side, except for Israel. Israel was founded upon godly principles, but then they turned. They turned. Every kingdom, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, the Ten-Nation Confederation, Antichrist rule, are all from the demonic realm. Every one of them. It won't be made right until the king sets up his millennial kingdom. That's when it will be right. But until then, we're all submerged in this darkness called planet Earth. And different kings rise and different kings fall. And everybody thinks they're in charge. Egypt thought they're in charge. Pharaoh thought he was a big deal. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was a big deal. But behind the scenes, God is orchestrating his plan. God is actually sovereign and working out his plan behind the scenes in all of these kingdoms and all of these nations. That's something to remember. 
So Nebuchadnezzar's dreams was disturbing to him. It worried him, but it got his attention. But his, it was worrisome for him, but his dream was great for us because it gives us a heads up on what's coming. Fear not people. Now listen, we're living in an age where there's a lot of fear going around. What's going to happen with the Iranians? Oh no, the Russians are doing this. Oh my goodness, did you see that? There's a great earthquake over here. Oh, everything's falling apart. Fear not, everything is progressing on schedule as God desires. And guess what? Nothing can thwart his hand. No schemes of man can thwart his hand. Isaiah says this, God is in full control. Full control. Just just an example. Isaiah chapter 14. It says this, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so it will come to pass. And as I have purposed, so it will stand. He's talking about Assyria destroying the ten northern kingdoms. God says this is what's going to happen. This is, and that's exactly what happened. In verse 27, he reiterates this. Isaiah 14, 27, for the Lord of hosts. You know what the Lord of hosts is? Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of armies. Nothing can stop his hand. His purpose, and it will, it, it, who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? No one. No one. Zero. God is in charge, even though it looks like things are out of control. Nebuchadnezzar is simply being introduced to the one who holds his very breath in his hands. It's the same with us, guys. God holds our very breath in his hands. Each moment that we have, he has given you. He has given you. It's just that simple. Psalm 115.3 says this, Our God is in the heavens, and he does as he pleases. He is in charge. He's getting, and God, I think, right now is getting the world's attention by having prophecy being fulfilled right on schedule. And by the way, people always, oftentimes say the book of Daniel it was not really written by Daniel. It was written way after that because so many prophecies and it came to fruition. No, Daniel wrote this looking forward and giving credence to the validity of Scripture. His prophecies are into the future and they happen just on schedule. Just on schedule. So, verse 4 through 13. The king's demonic counselors are stymied. Watch this. 4 through 13. All these are from the demonic realm. They're, they're seeking information from the demonic realm. They might not know it, but that's where they're getting their information. The Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Butter him up. Tell your servants to dream, and we will give you the interpretation. <laughs> yeah. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans are the hot shots of this whole group. My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, then you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. Everything you have will be destroyed. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honors. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Now watch what they do. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. They're not giving up because this has been the methodology all through the, 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 the history of astrologers and Chaldeans and sorcerers. You tell me something, I'll give you what that means. That's not, he's not going to fall for it this time. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time. 
that you would stall, because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed, until the, until the situation has changed. You're buying time. You're stalling. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you give me its interpretation. Oh, the Chaldeans answered the king. Watch this. There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldeans. This is an excuse. We can't possibly know this. You're right, because this came from God. It's a difficult thing that the king requests. There is no other one who can tell it except the gods, plural, the small gods that they worshiped in mass in Babylon, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious, and he gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon, who had been his counselors for who knows how long, who he knew intimately. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So the word stymied is not a word that we hear very often today, okay? But it means this. It means to prevent or obstruct the progress of something. Progress is halted. This would not be the status quo for these folks. This would not be the status quo. It would not be situation normal for these counselors. This time, Nebuchadnezzar demands without any prompting, I want to know what this dream is. And if you don't tell me, you're going to die, and everything that you have is going to be wasted. A must-know. Now, you must know this. Please hear this. A must-know. The demonic realm cannot read your mind. The demonic realm cannot read your mind. They cannot tell what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was or what he was thinking. God can. The true God can. But the demonic realm cannot. They are not all-knowing. Only the true God is omniscient. That means all-knowing. He has all information from beginning to end. He is the only one that knows everything, not the demons. So, it goes something like this. In verse 4, tell your servants the dream. Nebuchadnezzar, tell me the dream, or you're going to be cut into pieces in the verse 5, and your house will be destroyed. You know when he says your house is destroyed? That's intimating that your house and those who live in it will be destroyed. This is an Eastern disaster for these people. In verse 7, we see, we see the, the counselors and how they respond. And, and I can just see how they're just saying, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, don't be so harried about this. Don't be so disturbed. Don't, don't, don't be so bent out of whack. Tell us a dream. Don't be so unreasonable, king. Oh, don't. Just give us a hint. Give us a hint. And in verse 9, Nebuchadnezzar said, I knew that you would stall and that you, would, you couldn't tell me the dream. And remember this, the darkness never will be able to interpret what the light is doing. The darkness will not, they can extrapolate, they can try to figure it out, but Satan never knows. He always thinks he's got one up on God. And then God goes, check. And then Satan goes, oh, I'm not in check, and he moves his pawn or moves something. And then God says, oh, yes, check again. And guess what? He's, Satan is being put into a corner where he's got like one move left, and then God is going to go, check me. And Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom. Now, notice the, the counselors, the demonic alibis start to fly. 
If you can't figure something out, you start to say, hey, no one can do this. The alibis fly. No man on earth can do this in verse 10, 11. No king has ever asked this of a wise man before. Only the gods, small g, only the, only the gods can answer this question. That's a lie. Now, the important thing to remember here is this. This heightens the significance of Daniel's interpretation because nobody, and they acknowledge it, nobody can do this except God. Nobody can do this except God. And finally, in verses 12 through 13, Nebuchadnezzar just says, enough, enough. And the decree went out and the slaughter begins. And, it, and can you imagine when that starts? The counselors, what happens to them? And they're running away. It comes to Daniel's house in verse 13. The decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. It's reached his house. Before we get there, Nebuchadnezzar's was right in that his dream was special. He was wrong in assuming that any man could interpret it. Only God can interpret this dream and give the information to Daniel. Now, Daniel's going to be the hero of the story, and Daniel's going to be galloping into the rescue. So enter Daniel. He's our hero in this thing. Actually, God is the hero, but Daniel's going to be the one that gives the message. So in verse 14 through 19, the trouble comes to Daniel's house. Then the counsel, then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain's king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him, give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation right into the presence of the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, his buddies, that they might seek the mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Watch this. No one, hear this, no one is immune to trouble on planet Earth. You live here, you will have trouble. That's just that simple. We do everything we can to avoid it. We're very safe. We're trying to take safe moves in our lives. It's coming. It's coming. It hits every house. The question for all of us is this. How will you handle it? How will you handle it when it comes? Daniel's response to trouble is amazing. Notice what he says here. Then with counsel, that's tactfulness, and wisdom. Counsel, wisdom is, the word actually means command. He was in command of his emotions. He was in command of his emotions. He was not going to be controlled by his emotions. He doesn't go right into a panic attack. Now let me tell you something about Arioch. Arioch, the king's guard, that word means butcherer, slaughterer. And he ends up, you know, cutting them in pieces, as it says in verse 4, at Daniel's front door. This is the picture here. Ariac shows up at Daniel's house ready to kill him. Now remember, there's no TV. There's no internet. There's no walkie-talkie. Ariac's on the way. Ariac's on the way. Everybody run for you. Hide! Ariac's coming. There's none of that. This guy just shows up. And when he shows up, you don't know what's going to happen. He shows up. Facing imminent death, notice Daniel's posture. There's no fear. There's no cowering. There's no panic attack. There's no pleading. 
Now, there's a proverb that's very, very significant for situations like this. Fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. Fear of man is a snare. Daniel simply asked, why is the decree from the king so urgent? And remember this, Daniel has been given favor right from the beginning because he has been in community with God. He has been dwelling with God. He has been moving in the venue that, that he can have favor. And he's had it. He had it with Ashpenaz, the eunuch, when he, when he was attempting to indoctrinate Daniel and his friends. And he gives favor. He gets favor from Ariok, the butcher. Ariok, the slaughterer. He gets favor from this guy. And Ariok listens to this. Remember this. Daniel is now probably 17 years old. He's went through his three years of training. He was 14 or so when he, when he got captive. And now this captain of the guard, ready to slaughter everybody that's one of the wise men of Babylon, and he stops in his tracks and listens to the 17-year-old. That tells you that God is in the midst of this. God is in the midst of this. Daniel, with Holy Spirit courage, approaches the king. Verse 16, so Daniel went and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king its interpretation. Look, you don't do this. You have to have an invite before the king. And Daniel burst into the, right into the presence of the king, and he asked. Now, the, he has favor with Nebuchadnezzar. It's not just Ashpenaz. It's just not Ariok the slaughterer. Now he's got favor from Nebuchadnezzar the king. This is what God does. This is what God does. He has incredible courage. Proverbs 21.1 says this, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he directs it as a water course, wherever he pleases. The king's heart. All the king knows about Daniel is that he and his buddies were overachievers. That's all he knows. He knows nothing about Daniel's God. He knows nothing about Daniel. Daniel doesn't even know about dreams and visions until it comes up now. He's 14, 17 years old. He's just being introduced to this whole, whole venue. Nebuchadnezzar does not yet relate Daniel's knowledge and skill to God. Oh, but he will soon. What's this dialogue here? Daniel did not say, this is impossible, Nebuchadnezzar. Why would he say that? Because nothing, 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 absolutely nothing, is impossible with God. Nothing, nothing. Daniel did not stall like the other guys did. Daniel approached with confidence. Daniel was being used by God to introduce Nebuchadnezzar to the true God. To the true God. Much like Joseph did with Pharaoh, interpreting Pharaoh's dream. And remember this, the true God, through these Jewish young men, through these Jewish young men, got the attention of Gentile rulers. God's purpose for the Jewish nation, by the way, was to do that. Was to get the Gentiles the information about God. They, they failed to do it. Now, lessons to learn from this. In an impossible situation, folks, be a Daniel, take a pause, and don't panic. Trust God. Now, that's easier said than done. You've got to be, in order to do that, what do you have to do? You determine in your heart beforehand. You know something, you have to abide. Be filled with the Spirit. You have to be walking closely with God. It's hard to do, but it is possible. Secondly, in an impossible situation, get all the facts. Then take action. And I will bet you that Daniel prayed before he went into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar. 
You don't think he just gave a little Nehemiah prayer? Oh, God be with me as he went into the presence of that king. And in an impossible situation, involve other fervent believers to pray. Now, I want to qualify this. You don't involve everyone. I want the solid ones. I want the ones that I know are prayer people. I want the ones that I know are dwelling. Men know dwelling with God. I want the ones that are filled with the Spirit to be involved with me in this. It isn't the masses. He had a few guys there that he could turn to. Hopefully you have a few. And they sought the God of heaven, seeking mercies from the God of heaven in verse 18. And up to this point, Daniel, a 70-year-old, had no supernatural contact with God. This is all new for him, too. And it came to him in a night vision. And I bet you Daniel was relieved. Notice it was all day long, probably most of the night. And you're wondering, okay, Lord, when's it coming? And then the night vision, it came. The answer came. Look at When God steps in, and he stepped in in this situation, notice what Daniel did in verse 19. Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Worship the God of heaven. When God steps in, worship. Just take a pause and say, thank you, Lord, for what you have done. Thank you, Lord. I thank you. I praise your name. Tony Garland has this to say about worship, and I thought it was very insightful. He says, Daniel's view of God differs from from much worship one hears in the Christian media and churches today. The common fear today is man-centered worship. It's all about me and what God did for me. Daniel's worship is God-centered. He extols the greatness of God's attributes and God's qualities. Garland says this, Of course we are blessed and thankful when we receive benefits from his hand. That's without saying. But mature worship, mature worship seeks his face, not his hands. I want you, God. That is more important than anything I get. I just want you. You are the treasure. You are the great reward. Verse 20 through 23, he's going to break into blessings and praising God. Daniel burst into praise. And I will tell you before I read this, this is a praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him. Watch his words here. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. That blesses Barak. Say the blessing of Baruch, Baruch. And it is to kneel in adoration. Give adoration. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his. Now notice all these pronouns that are directed towards God. Are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes the kings and raises them up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals everything is pointed towards God. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells within him. And I thank you and I praise you, O God of my fathers. Take a pause. I thank you and I praise you, God, for this. You have given me wisdom and might. It's come from you, God. And you have now made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. You did this, God. Everything is pointed at him. Everything is pointed at God. Daniel's worship is God-centered. Blessed be the name of God. When we say the name of God, we're talking about his holiness, his wisdom, his justice, his mercy, his truth, that we would glorify his name. In John 12, 28, Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name. The Westminster Catechism says this, the chief end of man, the reason that you were born, the reason that you have breath, 
The reason that you were given life is this, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You know what, how, what it starts with in glorifying God? Being born again. Then Jesus, I, I have gone my way too long. I desire, I desire, please forgive me for my sins. I want to be in your family. That's how we start glorifying God. That's the root of That's the very beginning. And then the rest of our life, as we're growing in Christ, we bring glory and honor to him by doing things his way, not our way. Seeking his will, not our will. Notice, everything in us is to be God-focused, to be God-centered. For wisdom and might are his. All wisdom. All wisdom. Only God has all wisdom. The word is hachma. Hachma. That means knowledge and the capacity for proper decision-making. Only God has that kind of wisdom. They have the capacity for proper decision-making 100%. And we want to tap into that, don't we? And God gives us the ability to do that. In verse 20, what says, For wisdom and might are his. Verse 21, he gives wisdom to the wise. Verse 23, you have given me wisdom. Folks, I want to submit to you that everyone that has been received Jesus Christ as their Savior, everyone that has the Holy Spirit resident within has access to the wisdom of God. How do I know this? Because the Bible tells me so. So we have access to God's wisdom. Proverbs 2.6. Hear this. For the Lord gives wisdom. Hakma. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield, a protector, a buckler, the small shield that blocks all the weapons that come from every direction. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. Proverbs 8 1 says this wisdom cries out to everyone. It's crying out. Hear me. This is God's wisdom. It cries out. In Proverbs 8 4 says, to you, O men, I call. To Proverbs 8.11, wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things a man desires cannot compare with it. Now, there is worldly wisdom, and there is godly wisdom. A big, huge difference. So how does godly wisdom look? Very different, very different than self-serving worldly wisdom. If you would, for just a moment, turn to James chapter 3. Keep your finger in Daniel and turn to James chapter 3. You want to know if someone's dealing with you truthfully? You want to know if someone's dealing with you honestly? Look at the way they present themselves. Watch this. James 3, verse 13. Who is wise? Actually, in the Greek, that's sophos, sophia. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by, oh, watch this, good conduct. That's a good one. That his works are done in the meekness, that strength under control of wisdom. And then he's going to say, but. But there's a transition from God to the world. But if you have bitter envy, you know what that is? Resentfulness, harshness. If you have that in your heart, bitter envy, self-seeking, me first. Me, myself, and I first. You have self-seeking in your hearts. Do not, oh, what's this? Boast. That's the third thing. Wis, worldly wisdom, boast. And fourth, lies against the truth. This wisdom, you see something like this in somebody, does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, 
and demonic. The world, the flesh, the devil. The triunity of evil that constantly we have to deal with. For where envy and self-seeking exist, notice what this worldly wisdom produces. Confusion and every evil thing are there. Disharmony, antagonism. That's what that confusion is. That's what we see. And then there's a transition, a transition. But the wisdom that is from above is pure. That means without contamination. Then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. That willing to yield means teachable, compliant. That word gentle means does not hold someone's feet to the fire. I, I, I could do this. You deserve this, but it isn't the way we conduct ourselves with godly wisdom. We don't hold somebody's feet to the fire and say, ha, ah, I can get you back now. Uh-uh. That is not what godly wisdom does. Full of mercy, forgives quickly. That is an indication that God is in the thing. And good fruits, without partiality, no, 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 no prejudice, and sincere. With all of your being, you seek it. Look at godly wisdom and worldly wisdom are very different. We have access to godly wisdom. Please recognize within your being when you are using worldly wisdom. Because we do. We transition. We kind of flow in and out of this thing. And say, no, I'm not going to go down that road. I'm going to do it God's way. I'm seeking his wisdom, his way, always. So, and the important thing here, that Daniel burst out into praise when he gets the answer. And do you remember in Luke 17, 11 through 19? You're going to remember this. When the ten lepers were healed, that awful stigma of leprosy in Israel, when you had stumps and you were just cast off and you had no life, and then Jesus heals ten of them, and one of them comes back, a Samaritan. A Samaritan comes back. The Jewish people viewed them as the most despicable. Remember, when God does something, thank him. Thank him. Don't forget. Thank him. And finally, in verses 24 through 30, Daniel points God to Nebuchadnezzar. Watch this. He's going to point God to Nebuchadnezzar. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch the butcher, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king this interpretation. Now, is Arioch looking for a little, a little pat on the back? I have found the man. King, the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. doesn't say anything to Arioch. He, says that he, gets a, he talks to Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar. Are you able to make known to, the dream, make known to me the dream? which I have seen in its interpretation. And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magician, the soothsayers, all the wisdom of this world, they cannot declare to you, king. Oh, but there is a God in heaven. He's introducing him to the God of heaven who reveals secrets. He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. And as for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets, the true God, not your magicians, 
not your astrologers, not the wise men of this world, the true God has made known to you what will be. But as for me, he takes no glory, watch this, but as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, God had mercy on us that we would live, who make known the interpretation to the king, and then that you may know the thoughts of your heart, that you may know what this vision really is. Our main job, Daniel points Nebuchadnezzar to the king. Folks, our main job is what? Point people to where? The king. The king. We are to be a pointer. A pointer. Nebuchadnezzar. He's telling Nebuchadnezzar this. You're not all that, Neb. You're not all that. You're not all that great. There is one that is great, and it's not you. Know this, king. Your wise men cannot help you. All the wisdom of this world cannot help you. All this world that wisdom in the world can't even can't help us today, folks. There's nothing new. Verse 27, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, all those have access to the demonic realm. They cannot help you. They cannot declare, declare to you. Your go-to guys, they can't do it. Your old ways won't work, but watch this, verse 28. But there is a God. There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Folks, there is a God that can intervene in any situation in your life, no matter how terrible it could be. There's going to be bad stuff that hits each house, each home. But there is a God that can be there to help you through it. I'm not saying it's all going to get better and it'd be wonderful and cheery for the rest of your life. Some people have things that last forever. But you have a God that will go through it with you. What's his promise? I will never, ever, ever. Remember, it's a five times in degree. I'll never, ever, ever, ever leave you nor forsake you. I won't ever do that. I'll go through this with you. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will take you through it. And he'll get you home safely. That's the big thing. There's a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. But these things that are revealed, Genesis to Revelation, by the way, have been revealed to us belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the things, words of this law, everything that is written in this word, Genesis to Revelation, the secret things in this book have been revealed, that we might do them. We might live this thing out. Nebuchadnezzar, meet the true God. Here he is. Meet the true God. Let me introduce him to you. The real power behind your success, Nebuchadnezzar, you have reached the zenith, the peak of worldly power, but our God is the one that allowed you to be there. This isn't just you, Nebuchadnezzar. Your success is because God has allowed it. Now, I want to suggest something to you. When you look at humanity, when you look at us as people, think about this. How do we view success in this world? Men cannot be together for five minutes without stratifying where each one is. Where did you go to college? What's your job? You know, how much do you make? That's what you're really asking. You know, where do you live? We're into this stratification thing. How quickly we rank one another socially, economically, positionally, financially. is a human hierarchy. A human trait is to look at the outward appearance. But what is a God trait? God looks at the heart. Remember in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, 17, God shows no partiality. In Acts 10.34, all are equal at the foot of the cross. Every human 
Every human is equal at the foot of the cross. There is no superior human. The world, in its arrogance, conditions humans to this, I am greater than you thing. That's what it does. But in Galatians 3.26, we read this, We are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, that means you were saved. As many as you were saved into Christ, have put on Christ. And then he says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, slave or free. There is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no such thing as superiority of man over woman. There's, a, there's an order in the home, an order in that sort of thing. But God views us as equal. There's no such thing as races. The races have been brought in from man. That's man's pollution. We are all in the human race. We're all been made in the image of God, the imago Dei, the image of God. We all reflect that. That's a, that's a man thing that gets brought in here. That's a man thing we try to put people into a hierarchy. And I'm better than you because I've got this or whatever. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You know what that says? If I can run the 100-yard dash in 9-3, that's not me, okay? God gave me the ability to do that. If I can dunk like Dr. J, God had to give me that. I might develop my talents, but the ability to do it comes from him. You don't ever think you're, you're all that, like Nebuchadnezzar did. The dream of the ages is this, Nebuchadnezzar. He who reveals secret, the true God, has made known to you what will be. Now notice it is the true God that makes known what will be. It, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Jean Dixon, but she was the one that took all kinds of predictions in the past. Some came true, some didn't. False prophet. How about the Long Island Madam? That's, that's today. The Long Island Madam. False prophet. False prophet. You know what they're doing? They're channeling. This is called channeling. They're getting the, the demonic realm. They have channels into the demonic realm who, who, who masquerade as light, by the way. See, these people don't think this is darkness. But they're masquerading as light, but ultimately they, they will fail in their predictions. They will fail in their predictions. They'll lead people down the primrose path of destruction. Don't fall for it. Fortune tellers, horoscopes, all of that stuff. Run for your life. This stuff is not anything to tamper with. Nothing to tamper with. The demonic realm is real. But Nebuchadnezzar, you have had secrets revealed to you, and by extension, those things are revealed to us today. We have information. Now, kings will rise and fall. The last kingdom will be Antichrist kingdom. We're going to see that next week. In the end, the king of kings, listen to this. We're going to see this next week. He will crush this statue, pulverize the statue, including the ten toes in Antichrist kingdom. Stay tuned for more next week. The lesson for all of us is Daniel's humility. He's a great example. This is for you, Nebuchadnezzar. This wasn't given to me because I was so great. God saved our lives, but it is given to you that you might know, and by extension, we will know what is coming down the pike. In conclusion, God's dream for the ages. Hear this. If we really knew how great God was, 
Now, when you're in elementary school, well, you don't do this anymore, but when I was in elementary school, this is what we would do every lunchtime. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his grace, we all are fed. Thank you, Lord, for our daily bread. Every day, we would say that. God is great. God is great. You don't hear that today in this culture. Zero, okay? But if we really knew how, 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 how absolutely incredible God is, and how insignificantly we really are in comparison, we would be astounded. Nebuchadnezzar will soon learn this. Psalm 50 verse 1 says this, and this is, the, this is the plight of most humans. God says this, you thought I was altogether like you. Well, I am not like you. That is what he's saying. As high as the heavens are above the earth, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts, that sort of thing in Isaiah. And yet in God's great love and mercy, because of Jesus Christ, we are highly valued. That's an astounding thing. God is, is, is a giant, and we are an amoeba down here, but yet he desires to have a relationship with us. That's an astounding thing. In his grace and his mercy, he desires to have a relationship with us. And guess what he calls us when we, when we say yes to his invitation? He calls us sons of God, children of God. He calls us the bride of Christ. Oh, what value he puts on us. He says we have an inheritance that we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. What a deal. The little net gets to be joint heirs with Jesus. Daniel 9.23, God says, oh, Daniel, you are beloved. Daniel 10, 10, 10, 11 says, oh, Daniel, you are beloved. You know what God says to us in Colossians 3.12? The elect of God are holy and beloved. The elect's the church, those who come into the family of God. Our greatness and our value is given to us by our loving God. Nebuchadnezzar is learning who truly rules. And we, each one of us, must realize who truly rules this world. Who truly rules in our lives? Who's going to take control of our lives? It's God. It's not us. And when we learn this, as Christians in particular, when I learn this, I know that I'm really growing up. I know that I'm maturing. It's not about me. It's all about him. Whenever I try to extol myself, I'm, taking a, I'm falling backwards. I'm going backwards. I am not going forwards. I am going backwards. But when I put him first, then I'm growing up. I'm leaving the pablum, leaving the baby stuff, becoming a, a solid Christian. Like Daniel, may God be glorified in our lives, front and center, first place, no competitors, no competitors. Next week, God's dream for the ages continues, and we will see the stone crush the statue, and it's pulverized. That's our king, the stone. That's the Lord Jesus coming to take over. We're going to see through the book of Daniel over and over that these kingdoms rise up and how people look at that statue and say, oh, how beautiful it is, and how God looks at the statue and sees it as a lion and a bear and a leopard and then something drastically evil with Rome. Big difference in how God views it and how humans view it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've allowed us to study your word. and Thank you for the book of Daniel. Thank you that we can learn so much from this young man who went into captivity at age 14, went into the lion's den in his 80s, 
and finished strong in Persia. Went through two kingdoms, served you in two kingdoms, and was never indoctrinated to any culture that he was put into. But he maintained his faith in the true God. May that be said of us, so that we are here, that we represent you no matter what to the world that is around us. Father, today I just ask that you would speak to each one of our hearts. You know where we're at. Some of us are desperately wanting to grow and know you more. And uh, some of us are just kind of cruising along. Lord, help us to know the importance of, first of all, knowing you as Savior, committing our whole lives to you, running the race, and finishing the race, and hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, speak to each one of our hearts today, things that you want us to hear. You've spoken to us, Lord. I know you have. That's how your spirit does. You've spoken to each person. May we leave here changed, not the same as the way we came. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.